that I think law is an amazing thing where you have to view vast volumes of uh, content, you have to remember those contents, and you have to have a way of articulating it in a way that is believable, which is pretty much um, acting. You, what would be like your favorite, favorite or like top five like courthouse dramas in terms of like something that you oh, think is man. There are so many stories just waiting to be made. So filmmakers, if you're out there, I'm gonna give you a case of something that really happened and needs to be turned into a story. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Kaylin. <laughs> hey, Kaylin. What's up? Nothing much, man. Just out here on your podcast. Our podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, you bring up a good point. Our podcast, which is Department Spotlight. It's the show where we speak to our friends and colleagues about their experience in the film industry. So, Kaylin is the new addition to the Loop Pictures sort of YouTube side of things. He's been a part of Loop Pictures for a while now. But now he's jumping onto the YouTube side of things as well. It's awesome to be seeing you guys and uh, for you guys to be hearing my voice. Obviously, you guys, I can't see you for real, but I'm just pretending. Uh, but yeah, today we'll be talking to Michael Lawrence Potter. He has been in three of Luke Pictures short films and he's also in a feature film that came out this year called Triggered that is now available on box office. So we're changing up um, how we're releasing the podcasts this year. So we're doing part one now, and then in two weeks, we're going to get part two of the conversation. So without further ado, let's get into it. Well, my name is Michael Lawrence Potter. I'm an actor and producer, but if you're asking what I do, I mostly uh, sit around watching YouTube acting snarky. And every now and again, I act and I write and do some lawyer stuff. Okay, cool. So because we're shaking things up a little bit for this year's podcast, we'll start with part one, which is living a double life, being a creative <laughs> while having another job. Um, <laughs> and you said there at the end that you do some lawyer stuff on the side. Perhaps the question is, how has knowing law helped you in this industry? It's been a completely invaluable uh asset of my being for the fact that law helps me uh, with my two prime passions, which is uh, not starving and also, um, and also kind of knowledge, any acquisition of knowledge, any acquisition of uh, systems and how things work. Law is probably, I mean, if we had enough time and if we had enough finances, I'd say that every single actor should try and learn some sort of other vocation, whether it be accounting, law, um, science, engineering, or anything of that nature for no other purpose but for the fact that it is wonderful to have something else to stimulate your mind and wonderful to have something else to stimulate your creativity. That I think law is an amazing thing where you have to view vast volumes of uh, content, you have to remember those contents, and you have to have a way of articulating it in a way that is believable, which is pretty much ah. acting except you know law law you're trying to prove a point acting you're trying to be authentic so it, it's pretty much like uh moving the goalposts in regards to what you're doing but the process is very similar you know if i'm preparing for a case it's this this much content this much research that i have to turn into a couple of pages that i can then use on a judge magistrate client opponent to convince them of my point in the same way acting is taking a whole myriad of uh, research 
turning that into something that is short and concise and allowing the audience to think I'm believable. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a different process with a different name. And on a more practical level, it's fantastic to have something uh, to occupy my time, um, to have a consistent paycheck, because as we know, anyone who's in the creative field, it's feast and famine. You're on top of the mountain one day, at the bottom of the mountain the next day. It's a very uh, volatile way of living. A little bit of stability is always fantastic for your mental and financial state. And um, contracts. Most of, this, uh, most of this industry is run off of contracts and agreements. It's always good to know what you're signing. And a couple of years of law certainly does help with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we wrote the question, we thought that you'd go straight to the contracts, but we didn't realize that they're actually yeah. so similar, acting and being a lawyer. Yeah, especially with the retaining information on both sides, you know, like, like when you think about law as having to retain all that, like you said, all that knowledge and all that books, and then it's the exact same with the script, and you know, especially if you want to like know the other person's lines, and if you want to know the scene, and you have to literally know that inside and out, so I guess like you said, it is kind of valuable to have like a, a trait that goes with acting that kind of involves that same thing that can kind of work together. And I think that's a really interesting point, you McGill. Well, it's worked for me. Um, and I think that anyone else who's come from other backgrounds and has gone into acting, if you, like with any art or any craft, you have to develop a system in order to acquire new skills, retain information and perform. And you can either spend your entire life trying to deconstruct the systems that you've learned in order to make way for new ones, or you can say, I have all this pre-existing ways of doing things. Why don't I just move the goal to something different? And yeah, I mean, it's worked for me. Who knows how it could uh, work for somebody else. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting that you say it like that, that you say like you need to like, have like this amalgamation of different things that you've learned that, that feed into each other and stuff. But then do you find sometimes it's a bit too much or that there's a bit like thought to keep that balance between mastering both of those, <laughs> like, cause like, like they're both its own crafts. I think, uh, how is that juggling act in terms of keeping on the ball with both? Um, my primary emotional state is overwhelmed. <laughs> I find that um, <laughs> more, more often, more often than not, I am, basically engendered with a bunch of stimuli and a bunch of things that have to be done on a daily basis. And time management, um, I would say, is the second most important thing in that regard. But the first most important thing is presence in the sense of that things like meditation, things like being exactly where you are at that moment, not thinking about what you have to do in 10 minutes, an hour, two hours, because if I did that, my brain would basically explode. It's the idea of like, you know, if I sit down at my desk and it's time to write a screenplay, it's quiet the mind, do the screenplay, then quiet the mind once again and say, okay, I'm done with this. Now I'm moving on to this. There has to be a division of Mike sitting at his desk with his uh, little Funko Pop on his desk with his like suit all the way up here, maybe says five words at the office while he drafts his legal briefs mm -hmm. versus Mike, the actor who's running around a stage dressed in black, screaming out random excerpts from Hamlet. Um, they're, two, they're two different energies. And I think it's, it's very good for me to make those clear distinctions of, okay, it, it's characterization. It uh, goes back to acting. You know, lawyer Mike is having his time. Then he knocks off at five. He takes off that mask. Then he becomes actor Mike. 
then he becomes writer Mike. Then, you know, then there's also the difficult thing that most uh, creatives have where you take off the creative cap and say, now I'm just going to be the person who's going to be here with my friends and family or watching TV or eating macaroni, you know, something that is, um, I've had to learn through long and painful experience of, uh, not getting it right a lot of the time, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like after Mike can have an amazing, um, can have an amazing couple of takes and then he gets back to his office and the work is piled up this much, or you get, you know, lawyer Mike is really crushing it with his billables on his desk, but then he gets home and the dishes haven't been done for three days. Mm-hmm. So it's that, it's that nature of having to make those distinctions between where you're going, what you want and uh, time management. And also, um, a good, good lot of uh, a good mental breakdown at least like once or twice a week, you know. <laughs> just, just a good, just you know, and you can, and you can do, and you can do it on the go, you know. Cry in the shower, yeah. cry in the car, you know. That's the beauty of a breakdown. Yeah. Get the day moving, you know. Get the day moving. Yeah, yeah people always bash breakdowns, but I, I think they're underrated. <laughs> oh, they're necessary. They, 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 they are, they are so necessary. Um, they are the source <laughs> of that, that that script sometimes, honestly. I think that's a really good point. Um, I think it's something I've been struggling with also. And I think perhaps a lot of people can also relate to that working from home in 2020 is that you have to um, divide your time between like work time and like, I don't know, yeah, play yeah. time, I suppose, or divide yourself up into those different yeah. sort of... Because um, I know I'm terrible at that. Especially because when I'm like watching something for like leisure time, it's like more than that for me. So <laughs> then I like when then when I go to like do work stuff or something, then it's like feels like one and the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think I do yeah. have to be better at um, trying to divide that. Up and it's hard. Between, I, I, I think it's also, it's also the idea of, um, I mean, we're, we're in the arts field and it is tough to just watch a movie and not try and deconstruct it into all its elements and ask yourself, okay, well, how would I do it? Or I want to find out more about how this actor got into character. Let me do some research. And it's as Mark says, before you know it, you sat down to go watch like community for the 15th time in my case or maybe like <laughs> parks and recreation or something and before you know it you're like going into joel McHale's like acting preparation techniques i'm like no i'm at work yeah. again like i can't like, <laughs> and it's it's you know yeah. you, you have to yeah. and i think for me it's also i'm trying to do one thing at a time which mm. is absolute agony for me in the sense of that when i'm watching a show it's like okay i'm watching the show i'm not gonna have my laptop trying mm. to type out treatments at the same time when i'm at the gym i'm not going to be listening to like a audio book of 15 highly influential habits of people you wouldn't want to hang out with anyway <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> you know like um i'm trying to be like i'm at i'm at gym i'm lifting weights i'm at work i'm doing work i'm watching tv and it's hard because i mean we we come with a millennial generation and our whole deal was we there was no technology and then there was, and it's everything's at our fingertips, you know, like back in, back in the nineties, if someone like had a thought of like, what was that weird advert that I saw a couple of years ago? That's all it would be. It would just be that, that right. conversation they had. Yeah. Now we're going like, somehow we're going through like 
like KTV adverts of the 90s <laughs> compilation. And you're just like, how did I, how did I get here? <laughs> I'm like, a, how did this, yeah, exactly, how did this exactly. happen? It's a big mood. <laughs> But it, it's funny that you like say that because like I was thinking about it. I think for like uh, filmmakers, it's the most intense because our leisure is linked to our career because our career provides leisure and entertainment to mm. people. So do you sometimes then find that like uh, for like all of your legal and lawyer work that you also kind of catch yourself uh, when you like have to have like leisure time that you also like think of like when you see someone doing something on TV about like that has to do with law and stuff like that. You also catch yourself in thinking about that and going into things like that and researching uh, like different terms and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, I think it depends on what it is. Like for me, I like law is, is something that the, the field that I work in is not the most uh, idealist sort of view in the sense of that it's a lot of commercial contracts, property litigation, like really bread and butter sort of stuff. Okay. Which is the way I, which is the way I like it because I don't get emotionally invested in it. It's a bunch of numbers and it's a bunch of names, and it's more of I want to be good at this so that I can be good for my client, so I can be good for my bank account. It's a very sort of meat and potatoes way. But back okay. when I used, but back when I used to do uh, a lot of criminal work and I used to do a lot of environmental law, which is my my true passion for a long time. Then it is that it is that thing of like I'll watch some watch something on the news and I'll see that there's a community in the Eastern Cape that doesn't have clean drinking water because of corruption in their municipal fields. And all of a sudden I'm like, no, I've got to get on a plane. I've got to go to the Eastern Cape. I got to litigate against them. So for me, it's, it's less about um, the curiosity of legal terms and legal procedure and more about that. Um, if I see a place where there's severe injustice, or I see a place where people who quite frankly don't deserve it are getting a bad rap, I think that kind of stirs something in me, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's um, it's it's yeah. tough to it's tough to switch off. Is that kind of why you then got into law in the first place because of trying to represent and trying to protect people, or what was the reasoning you got into law? Like, what was the thing that said, okay, besides my acting that I love, what was it mm-hmm. besides like not getting into accounting or anything else? Why law in particular was it that same reasoning? No, uh, actually, I. I got into law as I got into acting and producing in the same way, completely by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was in high school and I was I was kind of seen as one of the like smart kids, um, <laughs> like um, not. But you know, and then once once you're in that group, you know, at the private school that I was at, it was literally like, all right, well, you have got engineering doctor lawyer accountant and that is it those are the only real careers and i took a look at i took a look at all the all the all the other ones i'm like a lot of numbers not gonna cut it like my my solid b for maths wasn't gonna cut like any of those other things so i'm like and at that point i was part of the debating team i was like top achiever in english and i just thought yeah all right makes sense and it was genuinely that it was that like i always find it hilarious that we ask 18 year olds what they want to do for the rest of their lives. I mean, if you can think back to how you were when you were 18, we should not be given that sort of decision because no one knows what the heck they want. And it was through, through studying that I started to see not only that I wanted to be a lawyer, but the type of lawyer that I wanted to be, because like any other profession, there are so many branching parts of the kinds of causes you want to champion, the kinds of people you want to interact with. 
and how you want to conduct yourself. And I think that I was always far more interested than helping those who were maligned by the system rather than helping a billionaire become a trillionaire. You know, like it was just that never really appealed to me. Like he's going to be fine. He doesn't need me. There's going to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's going to be some, there's going to be some guy who comes along who's going to be super excited about that. And that's great. You know, let that space be filled by him. But for me, I guess, I don't know if it came from living my life prior to that with my Doc Martens on and going to protests <laughs> and being a, being a punk, like being a punk kid. But I think that was just something that always attracted me is that you can make real change if you have the discipline and the courage to do so. So you're basically the Mike from Suits and as well. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I, I am no, I am no way near as, I'm nowhere near as smart as him. I, I actually, I actually work with a guy who is like legit Mike from Suits, and he is um, Andre, Andre Liebenberg. I'll put you over on the podcast, man. If anyone has any litigation needs, Fenton Associates, Andre Liebenberg. The guy's extraordinary. So do you think that um, perhaps jumping back to talking about how sort of busy you are in terms of your the sort of different parts of your life, is that is that sustainable? And also what advice would you give someone to to someone in this in the same situation? Maybe they're not necessarily in law, mm. but they're sort of juggling different things. Mm. What I would say is uh, first bit of um, first bit of advice would be be gentle on yourself because if you are juggling a million things and you're trying to, you're trying to go in two very, very distinct directions. The first thing I'll say is you're clearly, you're clearly ambitious and that is something that has to be admired, but burning yourself out is not going to get you anywhere. That's the first thing I'm going to tell you. Learn from my mistakes, learn from someone who got himself incredibly burnt out learn himself from someone who became disillusioned and there's not going to be satisfaction on either ends of the extreme spectrum. You could be an absolute killer at your day job, but if there is something inside of you that is pushing you towards an artistic field, it's never going to go away. And you need to validate that voice. You need to give that voice the space it needs, but at the same time, take it from somebody who, um, you know, did the the vagabond acting, couch surfing, not a penny to my name, but just kind of like swinging from one uh, job to the next. You know, they, it, it, it is an incredible life and I do love it, but you do get to a point where, you know, you get really sick and you don't have medical aid and that's a problem. You know, you, you get to a point where you have an opportunity to go on an incredible trip, but you don't have any money saved up, so you can't do it. There's a um, there's an opportunity to maybe get a really nice apartment, but because you don't have a consistent paycheck, no letting agency or bank is going to to look into you. And so what I'm going to say is this, is that there are advantages and disadvantages to both. And that's why I've decided to fuse the two together, because for anyone who's getting into the creative field or any field for that matter, brace yourself for the long haul. Brace yourself for the fact that it's probably, and I'm, I've made peace with this a long time ago, it's probably going to take you about 10 years before you are a master at your craft. You can make a sustainable living on it and you can, and you can basically make it your lifestyle. Look, there are some people who get lucky and you know, God bless them and good for them and I wish them nothing but the best. But for most of us, it's going to take a long time of trial and error, working and failing with that goal in mind 
before you get to the place where you can sustainably live completely off of your dreams. So for me, I, I would say that set your goals, hang in for the long haul. As I mentioned before, time management, emotional management, and be honest with yourself. Be really, really honest with yourself. And it's going to hurt at first. Um, one of the hardest things I had to admit to myself is that, you know, I can be anything I want, but I can't be everything I want because there just isn't enough hours in the day. Being an adult's hard, guys. Let's be honest, man. Like it's, you know, the, it, you, you can be as good as you want at your job, but the rent needs to be paid. The dishes need to be washed. The, the what's it? The house needs to be sweeped. The, um, you need to practice your craft every day. You need to go out for auditions. And so what I'll say is perseverance, gentleness, time management, um, and get a mentor. Please get a mentor. Get somebody who's a little bit older than you are, who's been through the same nonsense that, you have, that you're going through, who can guide you through it. Because often I think us creatives feel as that we're these special little snowflakes who are alone in the world. And to that, I will say to you, you're not alone. And that's the best part. That is the best part is that you have amazing people who you can lean on to help you. So yeah, I hope I, I hope I've answered it for anyone who's doing the dual thing. It's very possible. And uh, I wish you all the best. And yeah, I'll probably leave my details after the podcast. Hit me up if you have any questions. That was brilliant, man. That was amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> really awesome. like, yeah, it's like solid advice because uh, everybody that's uh, listening to this, I think, or like even me and Mark joining on this, like, all that responsibilities of like you want to do what you love but then like you said the leasing and trying to get people to like see that your paycheck is more than just not being steady but you did that determination i think uh, it is what the advice you gave like actually speaks quite nicely to how you can try and balance that and sustain the two as looking at it as a long-term goal kind of thing i think that's really really brilliant advice um But yeah, I want to I wanna just move into like asking you something a little bit more lighthearted, just because <laughs> you're, talk, you're talking about merging the two worlds for you and sometimes. Sure, and sure. More so I just wanted to like ask you something really fun and simple. Like, um, it might be sound trivial, but for you, what would be like your favorite, favorite or like top five like courthouse dramas in terms of like something that you think oh, is accurate man. or something that you think is just like, doesn't have to be like completely accurate, but just something that mm. you thought were like, like oh just, man, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there, there's, there's so many to pick from. I, I don't know what the hell happened in the 90s, but in the 90s, <laughs> everyone was making courtroom dramas. I don't know, like, um, well, I'm, I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get the cliche answers out the way. Um, every lawyer, if they don't say a few good men, they're lying. That speech that uh, you can't handle the truth is still one yeah, of the yeah. best the best scenes on the planet. It is um, it is just incredibly well written. Obviously, originally a play. Um, absolutely brilliant uh it's aaron sorkin who did a few good mm. yeah it is yeah. so um aaron sorkin at the height of his powers um just for all lawyers watching that scene you would get thrown out of court like you can't <laughs> you can't yell you can't yell at people but you know we we let we we let that go because it's an amazing scene there is an incredible movie that is does not have enough views on it which is a movie called puncture it's chris evans plays a heroin addicted lawyer fighting for the rights of um of nurses who um how do i explain this so they're these syri syringes in the hospital that are used for blood transfusions now the the 
the syringes that we currently use in hospitals are the needles that go in and out like a ballpoint pen. Now, those only came into effect in the late 90s. Before that, there were just these sticking needles and a lot of horrible hospital accidents uh, happened as a result of that. And Chris Evans plays a lawyer who ironically is addicted to heroin, who fights for those nurses to have those needles um, instilled in their in their hospitals. It is beautifully acted. And Chris Evans, man, like Captain America does not get enough love. That guy is one of the best actors of our generation. What a phenomenal talent. Uh, my cousin Vinny, just because of how preposterous it is, it's just such a, such a funny take on the legal system. Um, and then the final two are suits. It's cliche, but it's the best for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Harvey and Mike, that first scene where they're doing the job interview is possibly one of my favorite pieces of cinema ever and um it's just it's just so well acted and like for a pilot episode to instill that much chemistry within their core uh talent is just remarkable and then of course uh what's it to kill a mockingbird because it's it's the legal movie if you want to inspire somebody to become a lawyer you show them that movie it's as simple as that so i think that would be my five uh Three very generic ones, uh, one irreverent one, and one indie one. I think I, I think I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you definitely oh, did. I'm, I'm so like uh, gonna watch uh, the, <laughs> the Chris Evans one and uh, my cousin Vinny. Like, you know, yeah, like yeah. that's how I wanted to really just listen to you and see, like, from a lawyer slash actor perspective, what is oh. the best. Sorry, one more. Uh, Devil's Advocate. I forgot about that. Al Pacino. Oh, yes. Well, like Keanu Reeves, eh? <laughs> uh, she's got a great ass! <laughs> Posturous. <laughs> so I'm going to steal one of Kaylin's questions here. It's another sure. one of the lighthearted ones. Um, so basically he references a, a YouTube channel called Legal Eagle, mm. where a lawyer reacts to legal TV shows and movies such as Suits and A Few Good Men. But being from both worlds, do you find yourself doing the same, critiquing how accurate the law is in these shows? I mean, obviously you're a writer yourself, so you know, and like you just said, you touched on it with like A Few Good Men when yeah, exactly. he's yeah. sort of shouting and it's like, you know, you don't, yeah, we'll just let it slide because mm. it's like good drama. But do you find yourself critiquing that and being like, oof, that wouldn't happen. That would, you know. Uh, no, because it's, because it's, um, it takes you out of the, the enjoyment of it. Um, in the sense of that, I think, you know, screenwriting is about, it's beat by beat. It's moment by moment. You know, you're like, you, you distill the best parts of conversations. You distill the best parts of actions. You build tension and you have the, you know, you, you have the benefit of forethought of this really, you know, and, and that doesn't happen in real life. Like someone will say something three years ago that ties in with something that said right at the end. No, like that doesn't happen in life. It's a complete, it's a complete fabrication. And in the same way, the law is a premise. It's a tool for you to tell your story in, in movies, to be clear, yeah. not like in real life. Don't ever quote me on that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, like, but like, but like in movies, it's a, it's a premise. It's in the sense of that the story is really about the characters and their interaction with this world. You know, like if you think about, if you think about a movie, like a few good men, you know, it's not about a it's not about a a murder charge or a treason charge. It's about the interaction of power between a jaded uh, jaded lawyer who suddenly becomes uh, 
effervescent and inspired by the law versus a tyrannical general. You know, you could put that in a barbershop. You could put that in a wrestling ring. You could put that wherever. The story is of the interaction of the two characters. I think that to critique the law uh, during movies is just going to drive you insane. That being said, though, every single legal uh, drama that I've watched that has really been compelling, like Suits, have has always been when the writers go they really research the law and mm. you know they they'll they'll provide something that first of all is is genuine and as soon as something is genuine people react to it and second of all you cover a lot of ground that wouldn't be covered by other writers because you actually did the research in the sense of that everyone has done like uh, you think about something like law and order law and order has done the, you know Rape, murder, homicide, treason. You know, they do that and then they rinse and repeat and they do that a million times over. Whereas Suits somehow managed to make something as dry and cathartic as okay. like a merger and acquisition like agreement. <laughs> they, t- they turn that into a two part episode. And that's, and that's based on research, both, yeah. both, uh, both of the law, but also of seeing how people interact. And that's been another thing that law has been very helpful for is it has given me a character study palette that I would never have been able to have gotten into um, organically in the sense of that I sit across the table from a client and I just see these characters come out like these, these complete, like I couldn't write them if I tried like a guy that comes in in a three piece suit and Crocs, he could have, one or the other would have been both, but he went for both. Then they'll, then they'll be like, um, just to give you an idea, just to give you an idea as well, that there is also, there are so many stories just waiting to be made. So filmmakers, if you're out there, I'm going to give you a case of something that really happened and needs to be turned into a story. So this was guy. To. Yeah, it, it happened. No, it's, it's, it, the case is, no, the case has been decided and it happened 40 years ago. And you this is on public. And that's the thing. It's like, it's on public record that you could go onto the Safley website or you can go into any law library and it's these treasure troves of stories waiting to be told if you're just willing to look past the dry academic nature of it. And all of a sudden these stories become apparent. So here's what happened. So there's this guy who goes on holiday to Greece and he meets the most stunning woman he's ever met in his entire life. She's beautiful. She's smart. She is articulate. They understand each other. They have a true spiritual bond. And he goes, oh, man, I think I could run away with you right now. And she goes, I think I could run away with you right now. He's like, I'll tell you who wouldn't be happy about that, though. My actual wife in South Africa. The guy was cheating on his wife very hectically and he's not talking about eloping with this lady but you can't be at the you know unless it is a customary marriage you can't be married twice in south africa it's you know that's just the law so he goes all right i tell you what i'll tell you what we're gonna do why don't you move to sa and then you can be like my my one on the side until i sort this you know pesky marriage thing out and she goes dude i don't have a green card how am i gonna get over there it's like well, you could get a green card if you got married, but you know that's the problem we find ourselves. <laughs> yeah. But I tell you what, I have a buddy who owes me a favor based on some gambling debts I helped him pay off. So this is what's going to happen: you're going to come over, you're going to marry my buddy, you're going to get citizenship based on the marriage with my buddy. Then I can cheat on my wife with you, 
with you as a citizen. <laughs> now, like the great, the greatest plan ever made. <laughs> so he he pays for the sham wedding. He pays for the sham house. He he gets he gets his mis- so good. <laughs> he gets his mistress into the country, and they you know they they have the most romantic, passionate romance that lasts <laughs> for eight. And here's the thing. It, it's a beautiful, everlasting love translation that lasts for about two months and they get sick and tired of each other. So now you've got this what? woman who's over here in a sham marriage. <laughs> and now the, 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 the guy is sick and tired of her and he's gone back to his, like, his <laughs> wife. So now the, the guy the is guy. announced... <laughs> The guy and the guys had a falling out with his mates, so he decides, okay, well, I think it's, I think we can call it quits now. You know, you've got your citizenship, let's divorce. So they divorce, but here's the thing, guys there are different types of marriages, and they relate to how your property is split upon your divorce. Now, if you are married out of community of property, now that, uh, let me, yeah, hold on, let me, let me get this. We're getting the full legal uh, lockdown. Yeah, yeah. I'm, get, I'm giving I'm giving you guys a few a free lecture here. So if you are married out of community of property, this is your stuff. This is your partner's stuff. It is completely separate. So when you guys split, he takes over his stuff. You take over your stuff. That's it. If they are married in accrual, this is your stuff. This is your partner's stuff. You keep your stuff upon the divorce. But anything that you make during the time of your marriage, you get half of that. Oh, Our partner gets half of that. I see space. where this is going. <laughs> but if you are married in community of property, the most old school one, till death do us part, all your stuff is bundled together. And once you divorce, you get splitsies down the middle. So if I get married to Mark and Mark has got a million rand and I've got five rand, I'm leaving with half a million rand and two rand 50. <laughs> so this divorce happens and he's like, all right, cool. Well, thank you. Whatever your name was, you know, we're done now. <laughs> and she's like, I'm coming for half your estate. And he's like, no, we're not really married. And she's like, uh, tell that to this marriage certificate that I have oh. in my hands. <laughs> so now he's like, now he has to go to court and tell the judge, Look, here's the thing. <laughs> so this, ju- this judge is like regaled of this like complete farce to which the judge finally says, it doesn't matter why you were married, you got married, pay half the estate, peace. What? what? That's like- a case. That's a case, guys. And that's, you know, so it's... That's a so whole movie right there. That's it so sounds precise. like Pain and Gain meets like Ocean's Eleven or something. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, it's, one, it's one of the greatest heist movies I've ever... Like, I'm, I'm thinking we get, like, Timothy Chalamet to play the one guy. We get, like... Uh, <laughs> we, Timothy's we, too sweet for, 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 for like, cheating, man. <laughs> Timothy's, Tim, Timothy's, got, Timothy, Timothy's got range, man. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> I've got full faith in him on the project. Timmy, if you're listening, give me a call, man. We'll make, we'll make let's make some happen. Yeah, this is one of his favorite podcasts. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Cool. So I think we can wrap up part one there. We'll see you in part two. 
which we're recording right now, but it's going to be split up. So, <laughs> <laughs> And that's it for part one of this conversation with Michael Lawrence Putter. If you enjoyed it, then maybe you'll enjoy all the videos that we have over on youtube.com slash loop pictures. We have over a hundred videos on films and filmmaking and all that good stuff. So until next time, go out there, stay safe and make, make your movie. movie.